Does anybody have a hard stop? Uh, no, but the new episode of White Lotus, which I'm very into, comes out at nine. So uh, I will be itching to watch that ASAP. <laughs> if we see Ben looking down instead of at the screen, we'll know what's going on. <laughs> like, so when Zero Two got the White Lotus, uh, <laughs> you mentioned it last time, and I thought it was like a Kung Fu movie or something. When you said White Lotus, my brain went to Avatar. The Order of the White Lotus is here. Mr. Burton. <laughs> so, Ben, uh, I actually turned it into a joke uh, in the edit, but do you want to give us a, an elevator pitch <laughs> for White Lotus? Uh, yeah, so, so it's got by this guy, Mike White. He did this other show, and it's an HBO show, HBO Max. He did this other show maybe like five or ten years ago called Enlightened, um, and he's also one of the co-creators of School of Rock, but School of Rock is probably like, it's pretty different than his other stuff, but it's about this resort on Hawaii. And, you know, it's like maybe two thirds the, the guests coming to the resort that week and one third the, the staff working there. I don't know. It's just one of those things where it just like characterizes people very well and just like sets up these like conflicts that feel super realistic hmm. and the music is fucking fantastic Welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals. Uh, we're still covering Darling in the Franks, and this is episode six, I want to say. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm Alex. Hey, this is Brian. And I'm Ben. And this week we have another returning guest from uh, season one, an old friend of me and Ben's. Please welcome Kenneth. What's a frequency, Kenneth? Hello, everyone. Uh, so, Kenneth, you're out on the West Coast still in Seattle. Okay, so can you give us some sort of a, like, Pacific Rim report? <laughs> uh, we are just coming off another heat wave, maybe the second or third this this summer. Jeez. This, this region is not built for this. Yeah, do, you, do places have, like, air conditioning and stuff like that? Or is it normally temperate enough that you don't have that stuff? Uh, it used to be temperate enough that most places didn't need it, but... With the way things have been going, more and more houses and apartments and things have been built with AC, and we are going to need it. Uh, you getting hit with the uh, smoke from the Dixie fire? Yeah, not quite as bad as as, as last year, but yeah, you, you you can see the haze. It it looks very dramatic. Speaking of dramatic, is Gozer in Ben's refrigerator? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. He needs to call <laughs> Ghostbusters. Great movie. Terrible politics. Yeah, it's like, isn't it the EPA is like the evil villain in Ghostbuster? <laughs> <laughs> the evil, evil EPA. Hey, uh, here's a, um, Kenneth, here's a, a dub. If you prefer a sub, I can find one. I got um, a sub. I'll paste the sub. Yeah, okay. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Time out, time out. Ben, is, was that a Kiss Anime link? Yeah, what's wrong with Kiss Anime? Oh my gosh. You're trying to give my computer herpes, man. Just get an ad blocker. I don't know. I oh, no problems man. with it. All right. 
<laughs> you watch it on your high class, high dive, and uh, crunchy roll. Yeah, I'm having trouble getting out of your right now, so it's the fallback plan. <laughs> okay, cool. Last time on Franks 5, Fate of the Franks. Not a whole lot of fighting happened, but everyone had a whole lot of feelings. Plantation 13 kissed Plantation 26, a process which seemed to take a lot longer than human kissing. This magma transfer was sure to ignite nearby Claxosaur tempers, just as the new social dynamics of meeting another Frank squad was sure to raise tension levels among our team. Zero and Hero got some quality time, culminating in Hero expressing the teenage shut-in equivalent of, till death do us part. Ichigo continued to struggle with her feelings for Hero and felt so compelled as a friend and a leader that she slapped the headband right out of Zero Two's hair. Through all of this, Goro remained a stalwart best boy, even when confronting Hero about his aggressive case of the clacks. Kokoro complimented Mitsuru, who is still suffering from the shakes. Futoshi sat for breakfast with Kokoro, who was being inspired by Zero Two, and Zorame couldn't get a satisfying answer about adulthood from the leader of Squad 26, whose partner was indirectly murdered by Zero Two. Will the Klaxosaurs attack? Will Hero get some penicillin for that growth? Will we learn a cooler word than Petrichor this episode? Let's find out. Um, and, and before we get to the episode, I'm curious, uh, Kenneth, is this a show you were familiar with before? And uh, how much have you watched? I have seen every episode up until this one. I had not heard about it until Alex had mentioned it. Uh, uh, and yeah, what, what, what are your, kind of your impressions so far? <laughs> I can see where people were drawing the comparisons to Ava, but I don't know if it's living up to the... To the original oh okay I, I, I have a short list of issues i have with it uh but you know i'm still open to it improving so uh did you see all of evangelion uh yeah how did, how did you like that one i actually rewatched it recently thanks to alex inviting me out to the first episode and re-sparking the interest there it's a lot more horrifying these days than it was when i watched it when i was a teenager yeah a lot more implications because of the implication yeah a lot of stuff we missed back then. Well, in, in uh, anime news, uh, the final Evangelion Rebuild movie just came to Amazon Prime this month. Oh, no. Do we have to watch it now? It's by Anno. I've never watched any of the movies, so I'm very uh, curious to go down that path at some point. We're going to have to set aside a week. You two are going to have to take vacations, and we're going to have to <laughs> watch and record episodes on all four movies, is it now? Yeah. Uh, maybe I can come back to Nova, and we can just trap ourselves in a room and uh, just like knock it all out at once. Not even edit it. We can just put out the live to tape. Yeah, that, that's all the, the anime news I have for us tonight. Okay, cool. And Ben, do you want to cue us in when you're ready? Three, two, one, play. I was racking my brain trying to figure out if this was like symbolic of something. This big cube with horns. It does have the very prominent horns. Yeah. Where's Hito? He's still inside. You should probably talk to him while you can. Go. <laughs> Ichigo? Goro the dickhead. Hey, so... He's just uh, setting up a conversation you... that needs to happen. That I've always thought of you like you were my sibling. Yeah, I feel the same way. Were you listening to me, or were you looking at the woman on the right foot? Well, are you ready? Darling. Zero Two has All like bony eyes off. on the back of her so hood. You stay where you oh. are. So do these little ones look like viruses to anyone? 
looks like a pillar with the prongs on the bottom. Man, I'm starting to get the itch. I can't wait for us to join in on the action. If they're in trouble, we should move out. You know, seeing like Strelitzy in action, I start to feel like Zoromir was right, that heroes just kind of long for the ride. I guess that might be the scream that, uh... <laughs> Has energy been mentioned as a thing before? Energy? Yeah, magma. Oh, right. I mean, it, it's the equivalent of energon, right? But Yeah. Um, but it's also allegorical of oil, I guess. Yeah. It's just I don't remember them saying it before, and if they didn't, it's pretty yeah. arbitrary to figure one out. <laughs> yeah. And there's the dune-like aspect, too, that, like, it, acc- it attracts claxosaurs, like, uh, the sandworms. Mm. Yeah. Feels like there's definitely a Dune influence with that sandworm kind of thing before too. You know, the first one we came out of the ground, desert dystopia. Oh yeah. I guess we haven't spent much time out in the desert, so I hadn't been thinking about it. But yeah, that makes perfect sense. Okay. This this episode concludes the Gian arc, right? The Jean arc. I mean, I guess so. There's definitely a or there is like an action climax and an emotional climax that would make it it would make sense that it would be the end of this part. And also that uh, it's titular, right? Darling in the Franks, they're like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we're through one cycle of the Ouroboros. Mm-hmm. So we're back at the beginning, but we're starting a new cycle and we're going to keep moving forward. Mm. This also marks a quarter of the way through. Oh, because we're at episode six, 24 episodes. Mm-hmm. Correct. Half a year with two weeks of vacation. You know what I just learned today? What? If you divide 365 days by 28 days, which is the lunar cycle, you get almost Mm -hmm. 13 perfect months. Oh, so we should switch to a month system. So the thing I heard today, which I haven't fact checked or anything, but it was that, you know, so that's kind of why most of the ancient calendars were lunar calendars. And I think it was just that 13 isn't divisible by stuff. So the claim I heard was kind of once taxation started, you wanted these like even increments that you could collect taxes like four times a year or like halfway through the year. And so we switched to um, Mm. these months that were more convenient for the math, even though they don't make as much sense. Hmm. Now, given this was a story by someone who believes in a lot of astrology and stuff, so... That's, that's okay. You know, there are patterns in the world and we we respect people's beliefs on this podcast. I, I don't know, but, but you take 28 days and you multiply it by 13 and you end up with 364. So you just have one point whatever extra days to deal with at the end of the year. Oh, that'd be cool. You could have one long-ish day or one extra day at the end of the year that isn't any of the weekdays. And that makes it like a really sacred day. That's your like <laughs> New Year's. Bonus day. So maybe there's something to this 13 <laughs> thing, man. It's like 
the answer to the universe. Why do you think the world's the wrong way? Well, because we don't have 13 months. Well, I, I mean, and I started this thinking it was really irrelevant, but then uh, 13 comes up a lot in this show, right? So this is squad 13, yeah. and then we have squad 26, which is 13 times zero two. Also, isn't like the whole lunar cycle thing, doesn't that tie into like biorhythms or something? Yeah, they say that the moon affects more than the tides, right? Okay, so we start with a very big pair of horns. Uh, we've got these like little claxosaurs running uh, along in the desert, and then one giant box thing, which we can only assume is another claxosaur, which I guess the horns, it's just like, is it symbolic of uh, zero twos increasing anxieties about? how she relates to this new group. Cause like she's starting a lot of new social relationships. And just in the, that last episode, the emotional climax was when kind of her horns were unveiled from the headband and they became very pronounced to uh, Ichigo. So I feel like you're kind of jumping ahead of yourself a bit, but so, so you're saying you think that this, um, this Klaxosaur is symbolic of something. Yeah. And so what, so what's your idea or what's your, your take on it? Oh, it's that. I just think that, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. I think it, I think we have horns again too, because we got horns in the first episode with that kind of uh, T-Rex dog one. And that's when we were obviously introduced to Zero Two. Um, And now in this one, the horns are even bigger. They're in a different angle. I don't know. Like they don't look exactly like her horns, but they're even bigger. So I figured she's more embedded in the group. And so now her differences are going to become more pronounced because they're going to come into friction more uh, closely. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I mean, the the first Klexosaur, it's a monster and it's pretty straightforward as like maybe the T-Rex or the Godzilla type monster. And then from my perspective, the one in the mine was sort of Yannick. And then the two-headed snake thing was very phallic. Uh, And I look at this and I'm not sure If, if I'm reaching I'm looking at the horns. I'm thinking like the god as opposed to the goddess, the masculine symbol. It looks Mm. very monolithic, you know, this big black cube thing. And then surrounding it is this swarm. My first impression was it felt like starship troopers, bugs. But then, you know, looking at it more closely, they look like viruses to me. This little, like the RNA pillar with the little prong legs. Uh, uh, Bacteria fish. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. Um, I mean, does that suggest anything when you put all that together? I don't know. Uh, and then I was like trying to think of the overall theme of the episode and if that would suggest anything about what this might symbolize, if it symbolizes anything at all. But maybe we can get there. Maybe we can discover that as a group. Okay, cool. Um, so it's a little jumpy this episode because it's like very action oriented, mm. but we get uh, a little more unnecessary fan service. Yeah, like the close-up shot of Kokoro's panties. I mean, that's just, mm-hmm. that's classic fan service stuff. I didn't have that vibe with Ichigo, like bathing. I was just more focused on like, she's stressed out and uh, I assume worried about Hiro dying and is trying to make sure she is staying focused so that she can do her job. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure it rubbed someone the wrong way. Oh yeah. I don't know that. That one didn't like register as fan service to me. Which, which conversation is this? We got a montage of the characters like uh, moments before they're going to be gearing up to go into battle. And uh, Ichigo's in the bathhouse, but she's by herself, which that's unusual because usually the girls are all doing everything together. Guys are all doing everything together. And she's like slapping herself in the face and looks distressed. Uh, And then we go to the rest of the girls. And that's when we get 
panty shots and you know mm-hmm. putting on or taking off bras while they're talking and then uh when we go outside it's the uh boys uh going down the hallway and goro peels off from them to talk to ichigo right yeah and then uh when hero shows up goro is like you need to talk to him and then pushes her towards him i just wrote down goro the dickhead but like <laughs> lovable dickhead hmm we might be seeing this different so i'll just put my cards on the table i'm like I don't know, meeting, reading like masculinity images into everything. Mm-hmm. But this is my, my conflict comes in. So like I'm seeing Goro as someone who's being a leader. Mm-hmm. I think he knows where Ichigo's head is. And this might be the last time she's ever going to see him again. And he doesn't want her to have any regrets. You know, this is your last chance to talk to him. I didn't think about that. The death aspect, because there's the rumor three times and you die. Yeah. And he does not look he doesn't good. look good. And Goro has his own insights about where hero is at the moment. Mm. Goro like older. Have we established like the ages of the pilots? Because Goro seems more even keeled than the rest of them. I've, I've just been assuming they're all the same age, but I don't know yeah. why I've been assuming that. Well, they do allude that at least uh, Hiro, Ichigo, and Goro all like quote unquote came up together. But we do have flashes of all all of them at the garden, mm-hmm. all as infants uh, or children, anyway. And I guess at that time, they they seemed like they were kind of at least the same size or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we assume they're like uh, like a grade school class. Mm-hmm. So they're probably all within about a year of each other, probably not more than two years yeah. difference between any of them. Yeah, so th- this came up last episode. Uh, I have this perception of Ichigo and Goro as Ichigo is the one in charge, but Goro is the one who has these leadership qualities. I think just taking the initiative to help Ichigo take this step is a part of that. And then later in the episode, we get a few instances of Goro like asserting himself for the good of the team, which is a leadership thing, Mm. but we'll get there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, I lost where we were. We are about to do like not the debriefing, but they're about to scramble into the field with uh, squad 26 taking point and zero nine zero. Who's the one who lost his, partner to uh zero two shenanigans in the past mm. uh he's uh field command mm. we get to see squad 26's franks they're all gray just like their hair and eyes um they have very little color it's just the magma energy uh, that's highlighted on them they all have spears the spears have sort of a harpoon effect and they can seem to electrify these harpoons as well and they attack everything in formation almost like Maybe they're older than Squad 13. Like, because mm-hmm. he says 090's uh, partner died two years ago. Mm-hmm. So that means they've been fighting for at least two years. And our Frank's pilots, like, this is their one, two, three, fourth encounter, maybe. This will be their third time fighting a Klaxosaur. The, the first one was just Strelitzia. They couldn't deploy it. Ah, okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. Do we see any of the uh, female partners in Squad 26 or just the? just the male pilots so it was last episode they they all remained silent and then we see them during the closing credits just in the group Hmm. oh i was gonna say but but i think you're right kenneth in pointing out that then in this episode like during the combat it's it's the voices of the the males that that we hear Hmm. from that squad Oh, that sucks. I didn't think about that. But in the last episode, I don't know that we heard any of the yeah. female pilots speak. 
It was only 090, and then there's one other line from another one when he like confirms something. Yeah. So yeah, that sucks. Like they're in these more typical uh, yeah. patriarchal. Uh, I was going to say it right? seems like because when the male pilots are talking to their female counterparts, the display shows the the face of the Franks and not the the, the mm-hmm. female pilot. Mm. Oh. So I, I'm wondering if they oh wait if so the female pilots there's... can't communicate outside the vehicle. Whoa. I wonder if that's something that's just unique to Squad 13 then. It probably is. Because there's another example that's the exact same. I can't comment on it because it's a spoiler, but there's another squad that we'll see later. And that is the exact mm. situation with them as well. What, what do you mean? That they're male or? That the person in the stamen position is the one who speaks mm. and the pistol position does not. And their faces don't show on their right. franks mm-hmm. either. Okay, so it's purely Squad 13 and Strelitzia. And so the stamens are the males and the pistols are the female? Okay. Well, hopefully this won't spoil anything, but the stamen is the sort of seated position and the pistol is the motorcycle position. That's a generous way of putting it. Also also known as doggy, doggy style, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. I just can't help myself. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of, we get to see a much darker juxtaposition of the two squads now. Um, so not only is it aesthetic and, uh, utilitarian standardization, but it's also like archaic gender roles. Yeah. This is a sort of reaffirming my suspicions about the, the themes of masculinity for this episode. Hey, so this is future editing, Alex. Sorry the interruption, but I just had one note and I got to eat a little crow and back uh, Brian. So the horns specific to this Klaxosaur are an ancient symbol called the horn god that has existed in European civilization since like 1300 BC. Uh, it very clearly uh, represents masculinity, the god form as opposed to the goddess form, and it's associated with power, virility, and the hunt. Hmm. Okay, so uh, some of the Klaxosaurs, the little ones, they get past Squad 26. Squad 13 has a lot of trouble with them, but Ichigo, Goro, in Delphinium, they kind of bear the burden. They come in and save everyone, uh, get them back on their feet while uh, Zero Two and Hero are back at base, sitting outside of their franks, talking about why they fight. Yeah, there's, there's a lot happening in this little scene. It goes by quick, mm-hmm. but yeah, so there's the commentary. 26, it takes all of them to kill one Klaxosaur, but they're efficient at it. And then Squad 13, mm-hmm. they're all over the place doing one-on-one. Uh, later, we're going to see Strelitzia takes on several Klaxosaurs at once. So like, I guess Squad 26 is trained and working as a team but uh all of them did you kill one claxosaur one at a time yeah especially when there's this big mass of of these little claxosaurs right yeah so something too so ichigo's strategy is to save strelitzia for as long as possible and it seems to me that that's not a tactical strategy but that's (laughs) like her worried about hero right like she's just trying to yeah. yeah stop him from from overdoing it and at least somebody is concerned about hero because this was my other red flag moment about zero two you know she's like a superhuman i assume she has heightened senses and there's her partner her darling like panting not looking in good shape got some weird blue shit coming out of his collar uh, and she's like humdy dum 
Boy, they're organized. <laughs> Your buddies are weirdos. Yeah. But they asked this question. I think Hiro asked it like, why do you fight? Mm-hmm. He says that last time that we were piloting, I kept seeing a smile on your mm-hmm. face. So like, are you enjoying it? Do you like fighting? And she, the only answer she gives him is maybe because I'm a monster. And I was like, do monsters fight? Is that what makes someone a monster? Is that they like fighting? So that's got to be the message that she's been getting the whole time. Cause that's how ape refers to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is kind of funny. Uh, this just hit me when Zero Two criticizes Hero's answer. Yeah. It's a very indoctrinated answer. And she says, how lame. Uh, now I feel like, oh, well, she has a very indoctrinated answer as well. She's a monster. To be fair, it seems like, at least as I remember from the other episodes, she's sort of treated like a science experiment. And mm-hmm. so I'm wondering if like, mm-hmm. it's more that like she's not getting the sort of personal cultivation that we would expect from even a person in the society that's presented here it's like she is being brought up as a weapon to fight the klexosaurs and so like like her own identity like we don't know if she's being actually like allowed to develop that oh my gosh <laughs> there's a spoiler i want to say no. but i can't Beth, go <laughs> well and, and then kind of like going back to you this is like a sex or relationship metaphor right it's like so so here's answer right is like i'm doing this for like dr franks and that the adults and society and whatever right to protect papa and all the adults in the plantations right whereas she enjoys this thing right so is it like are you dating for the the pleasure of dating and and connecting with this person or are you dating the partner that your parents want you to do to fulfill your societal expectations and mm. do the mm-hmm. thing for society where you're having kids and whatever you know and and so maybe in this sense like the being the monster is like kind of like being a uh, hedonistic or whatever <laughs> Well, being like ungrateful to society, right? Like not viewing it in that way of giving back. Yeah. Hmm. And and maybe in her case also, like not caring as much about her partners. Darling, are you done? To really like Hmm. being focused on on herself and and her own needs. There's an interesting juxtaposition of how like the values being presented by the do we have a name for the society? The dome people. Uh, <laughs> uh, between that, uh, like the values they present, it's like, oh, uh, like sacrifice every drop of blood for... Uh, for the dome people. <laughs> and then there's Zero Two, who is being presented as somebody who like consumes the people who are being produced by the society. Like the, the partner she's paired with all die mm. after being exposed to her too much. And so, like, she's mm-hmm. to to continue tying into the sex thing because that's this entire show. Like, she like is sort of this like sexually awakened and liberated woman. Mm-hmm. Like, Hero has been growing up with all of these uh, values being uh, demonized. Not 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 demonized, but like indoctrinated into it. Like, uh, but he keeps coming back to oh. zero two despite all of that. So it's not being framed as bad like zero zero two's uh less restrained proclivities but Mm -hmm. maybe that's like we were saying like maybe she doesn't pay as much attention to the health and condition of her partners as much as she should be Mm -hmm. they're not saying it's bad but that there is a 
better middle ground than either like unrestrained hedonism or missionary position with the lights off. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I hadn't thought about it, but you know, like, like we talk about like sex corrupting people, right? Mm. In, in this, it's like hero has literally been like corrupted, right? Like there's this like thing happening to him. He is becoming more flesh. Yeah. Like he's becoming more monstrous through his interactions with her. And she's kind of taking away his kind of like innocence, right. Or, or whatever. But, but I, I completely agree with what you said, Kenneth. And, you know, so I also have only watched through this point, but I am curious if we are moving towards, you know, I, I think right now we're at this phase where it's like zero two is really changing hero, but if there is going to be more of a give and take and she will at some point kind of be changed by, by hero as well. And we will find kind of a, a synthesis between these two perspectives. Yeah. Like, so his, the thing on his chest, right. We joked about it last episode, like it was an STD, right. (laughs) But I didn't think about it in this way, but it doesn't look like an STD, but it does look like horrifying propaganda of an STD, right? Here we see the insidious effect of syphilis upon once dainty fingers. I don't remember who was saying it, but like the thing about indoctrination and expectations, it made me realize that uh, Hero is the only one who has a partnership by choice. Mm -hmm. Everyone else, it's dictated who they have this intimate, super fucking intimate connection with. And of course, zero two, who knows what kind of effect that's had on her being forced to connect with person after person after person. And they die to keep just who knows how many there's been. Uh, it's pretty horrifying. Do you, do you know to what extent Japan had arranged marriages? My grandparents, their marriage was an arrangement. Whoa, that recently? Mm-hmm. And and was that like at that time, was it like almost everyone had arranged marriages? And um, that's more like a social class thing, like economic class, because mm-hmm. there's like matchmakers that you go to. And I can't remember. I think it's out of the Shinto priesthood that that comes. Anyway, that, that that is interesting because we talked about how like the outfits kind of look like the Shinto um, right. marriage outfits. And, and so I wonder if there is something to that with like the, you know, this is maybe a little bit of a exploration of the transition from like a arranged marriage and these like partnerships between people that maybe didn't have anything like love or lust or whatever to partnerships that are, you know, people choosing their partners, but all the dangers and problems that you can encounter through that. Yeah. So these kids, these pilots are the microcosm, right? They're a new generation discovering sexuality and the macrocosm is a new generation discovering a new way to uh, interact with each other romantically, sexually, right? Or at least hero. The rest of them are definitely within the uh, prescribed framework. Though the, we're, we're starting to see ripples already from, you know, the kiss that hero had with zero two. And then that thing between hero and um, Ichigo and, and kind of, I don't know. I feel like it's like 
now now the cat's out of the bag and it's starting to to change everyone else's dynamic as well and and that same mm-hmm. scene the food scene where like zero two started feeding him and then it's like oh mm-hmm. well i'll feed you and yeah there's behavioral things that are spreading like a virus Kokoro mm-hmm. is a real rule breaker. She immediately <laughs> uh, feeds Futoshi and then immediately goes to talk to Mitsuru. Uh-huh. Like, oh, well, she just does whatever she wants. <laughs> so I am curious if we are going to see any partner rearrangements with the rest of the team. Let's, uh, uh, let's move on. <laughs> so the fight is going okay. Uh, it looks like they've uh, cleared out a lot of the little Klaxosaurs. Uh, Strelitzia launches, right? Um, after we get a close-up of uh, Hero's neck, which is now has like the growth all the way up there and his veins are bulging in that like ray corruption mm-hmm. fucking animation, which this team has done before to great effect. Oh my gosh, right. it looks so good. The um, music for this scene too, it's, it's like, it's not straight up evil but it's like very dark it kind of reminded me of some stuff mm-hmm. from like final fantasy 7 or, or almost something like nightmare before christmas or something and i don't know like there there is that one theme that is very like heroic and and happy but even though uh Strelitzi is coming out here and like kicking ass there is this kind of like dark current to to all of it right she's got that while she's in the Franks, when it shows her face on the Franks, she's got that crazy look in her eye again. They're also super showboaty, right? Like they're insanely effective, an order of magnitude above everyone else. Um, and so Strelitzia helps clear some of the smaller ones out, uh, get everybody back on their feet. And then Squad 26, they wrap all of their cords around the big box and electrify it. And I was like, wait, how big is this box? Wait, how long are these cords on these harpoon spear things? But they electrify it. All it does is apparently activate the box. So the box like kind of opens up and it, I didn't see it until we were talking about it uh, afterwards, but this very masculine form, right? Its face looks like a splatter of white fluid. <laughs> does it? Yes, it does. I mean, there's a skull face on there, but yeah. Yeah, skull face. Um, but the horns remain. So Squad 26 gets brutalized. Mm-hmm. They're all gonna die, but uh Squad 13 gets in there. Uh like Zorame and Miku save uh 090 and his Franks. Mm-hmm. And then they do this coordinated effort. I think Goro like tells everyone what they're gonna do, <laughs> but it was like Ichigo's plan, really. Well, he's saving face for her. Again, like I feel like this is him demonstrating good leadership. Uh, right. And he's doing it in a way that still protects uh, Ichigo, like her dignity. Very supportive. Mm-hmm. And then she even thanks him. She says, thank you for that, Goro. That's short and beautiful. Uh, so I don't really know what everyone's doing except Streletzia. It seems like Streletzia just needs to deliver this final blow. But the other Franks kind of climb up it. And then Streletzia jumps and then they do this huge diving attack, pierces through it, but it's just not enough. Hero falls after this attack and he's like, he's done. And they have this moment of respite before it reconfigures and then just kind of flicks them off of the top of it. And then it turns into a giant hammer piston thing. Did you have some thoughts about this, Brian? Well, I mean, 
we we mentioned it during the watch party. It feels very, very Gurren Lagan or like Studio Gynex kind of stuff going back to FLCL. It's a really odd transformation. Uh, it's really over the top. And then, you know, I, I even got some like Big Zam uh, vibes. Big Zam? It's this like big gigantic thing on legs. <laughs> yeah, little chicken legs. But uh... Oh, wait, before we go into its final form, uh, we had this piece of trivia about what Klaxosaurs are called. So Klaxosaur we've gone over, right, is like this portmanteau of klaxon and dinosaurs. So kind of meaning like screaming lizard, but they're called something different in Japanese, right? Yeah, I think Ben got the right pronunciation, but I noticed it in the subtitle when we were, were hearing the Japanese spoken. They weren't saying Klaxosaur. Yeah, so it's Kyo Ryu, and, and I looked it up again. I'd gotten a, a little wrong when we were talking before, but so Kyo Ryu, that means dinosaur, and um, it's a pun sort of because that first character, Kyo, so I guess in dinosaur, it means something like fear dragon, Kyo Ryu, but there's another meaning of Kyo that's like a, like a scream or a shriek. Mm-hmm. And so they they use the different kanji for it. So it's like a shriek dragon or a scream dragon. And I think there's a line in this episode where they like mention you know, like hearing the sound and be like, oh, is that like a, a shriek or a scream or something like that? Yeah. When the box is transforming into the humanoid with horns, uh, there's this like really loud, like piercing shriek. That, and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, what is this? Like a klaxon. And and just then and then klaxons, that's like a specific type of like siren or alarm. Is that the like is it that Yeah, of? it's a horn. Uh anyways, yeah. So I, I I I was just wondering if those were like those kind of like air raid siren kind of alarm or or what it, it is used for that, okay. but it is also just yeah. generally like an electric alarm or horn. Mm-hmm. So this thing makes a klaxonomical sound yeah. <laughs> uh, and then it turns into a giant piston hammer. Yeah. It's very male, right? Again, yeah. very violent. Looks like a giant phallus that's ramming over and over again. Again, me maybe just reading too much into commentary on masculinity. Like we have the lioness form now and it's just getting punished. Wait, sorry, what do you mean by the lioness form? It's the Voltron looking lion shape that we saw in what, the first or second episode. Hmm. Yeah, when Streletsia is in its, I can't remember what they call it. Stampede. Stampede mode. And and is that when it's just zero yeah. two piloting it or? Correct. Yeah, so probably in a future conversation, the lioness idea will get uh, explored a little bit more. You think you think a lioness or a cougar? <laughs> oh. All right. <laughs> I got myself. Up. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. So this thing is smashing Australetia. Zero two is not having a good time because, as we've come to understand, right, the females feel what's happening to the Franks. Yeah. And. Uh, hero well before we go in there like the rest of squad 13 they're also having a hard time ichigo is now convinced that hero's dead oh yeah and her breakdown uh, breaks the connection with goro and uh, their franks is shut down now so it's a pretty dark but, hour yeah we need a miracle so then we go into the underworld uh and this is very reminiscent of evangelion yeah we mentioned that it was like the subway the train scenes that as soon as it dropped into 
uh, hero's self-reflection. It, it had very much that that air to it of like symbolic voices talking to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dreamlike imagery. Yeah. Well, you'll have to jog my memory for me. So, like in Evangelion, when Shinji, I don't know if we want to call it him descending into the underworld. Uh, maybe he's like going into the id, but like the voice that speaks to him takes the form of Ray. Yeah. Is, am I yeah. right in my recollection? Well, it depends on which episode we're talking about. The major underworld episode is where he is trapped inside of an angel, um, like negative space angel, right? It's a shadow. Mm-hmm. And his other self, the underworld self, is the angel. And it takes the form of a younger version of himself which is very oh. like maybe Jungian or there's like psychological yes. traditions that have like, you know, we have these younger versions of ourselves that are present in our like cognition, our, our feelings, but we don't always have access to them. We don't always talk to them. And so he's on this vision quest and it's supposed, it's kind of diegetically this, uh, this angel, but it's really like a psychological exploration for him. Um, and we have much the same thing here, right? Like instead of being visited, he sees an image of Zero Two, but who he talks to, I think, is Naomi, yeah. right? Who's his first partner? Yeah. So she's the voice of the id or the shadow or his subconscious self, and she reprimands him. There you go again, feeling satisfied with giving up like you always do. You aren't even trying to listen to your partner. Like he's ready to punch out, mm-hmm. and she's like, "Fucking typical, <laughs> <laughs> quitter." Yeah, but it's kind of like that the mirror conversation that he was trying to have with Zero Two. Like, what's your motivation? Right. And then his thoughts immediately go to Zero Two. And then he sees this imagery that we've seen glimpses of in like the opening sequence in an episode one. Oh, the tree. We don't know what it means yet. Right. And he doesn't know what it means either. Wait, the tree? Yeah. I completely missed that. He sees this tree and he's like, what is this place? So the vision of Naomi confronts him, asks him the important question, and he has this epiphany, right? Because the Mm -hmm. answer, where his mind goes, you say it goes right to zero two. His mind does not go to the answer he just gave zero two. It's not the indoctrination. It's not the canned response. He does have an answer. And it took this, this sacrifice, this hanged man experience to unlock, to put him in an emotional state where he could make that transformation, make that jump to overcome this indoctrination. Yeah, it's like this is like the classic underworld uh, mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. Like he he experiences acceptance of his death. Uh, he's able to let go and see things, I guess, from a perspective. Mm-hmm. Then finally has some clarity. Ooh, clarity. So he has this moment of clarity and then his wounds, his clacks, uh, his like vein invasion, it all clears up. Mm -hmm. And in this moment of rebirth, he immediately goes to hold zero two to comfort her. And we get my favorite darling so far where she like splits up the syllables. Mm -hmm. It hits my heart bone every time I hear it. So this is the second time we've had this sort of inverse callback situation. Like the first time he sees her, she's naked. And then she confronts him again and he's naked. It's an inverse thing, but he's still the one that feels the anxiety. And this time it's a mirror of when he first piloted with Zero Two. But this time he's the one uh, reaching out and embracing her. 
And in the exact same situation, they're not in the piloting seats. They simply embrace and it activates the transformation. Yeah. So it is starting to imply that the positions they take in the Franks are at least somewhat arbitrary. Right. Just one more thing that's dictated. Uh, Um, I noticed an interesting thing that's been bugging me this whole time is the way she refers to herself. She uses the pronoun uh, Boku, which is usually for mm -hmm. uh, males. But she uses it. So like that, as we were saying, like is unorthodox in the plantation society. And going back to what we were saying here, like could also tie into the not strict requirement of male or female in any specific position. Well, Kenneth, you get a gold star. You're the first guest that's been able to bring that up. Uh, I, I was going to say, too, like we were talking about kind of like this shift in the power dynamic. And there is this switch here where she calls him her darling and then he kind of corrects her or reframes it and says no i'm 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 your partner i'm your partner zero two i won't leave you all alone and you know i think that is going from him being kind of something that she possesses to being like hey no we're we're equals i'm i'm gonna be the one saving you this time i don't know what that means but it feels feels important yeah he's getting the sense of agency uh he's getting over those like initial i just got laid feelings where you're like well i'll do anything for her man (laughs) like yeah okay within reason and you're gonna have to explore those limitations like what does that mean it's a nice sentiment but how's it actually gonna manifest so i think we talked about this while we were watching but we also in this scene have this like you know black screen with the white text Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, it seems like we're kind of reading Zero Two's thoughts about how she's monstrous and whatever. And, you know, I fucking I loved it in Evangelion. I kind of feel like, you know, Evangelion did it and now no one else can do it. Simpsons did it. Simpsons did it. I don't know. It's... <laughs> yeah, I guess well, it's... This is that team, right? Yeah, yeah but, it's the same but there's people. something about it that like feels a little derivative, right? Like they're like, we'll do the Evangelion thing here. And I know we've talked about that kind of like everything is a remix thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it very well could be that Evangelion was, you know, kind of stealing this from something else that I'm just not familiar with. But I, I don't know. It just felt a little <laughs> cheesy to me. Well, if it's any consolation, I mean, you're describing just the act. The, the workings of your own schema that's everybody does that <laughs> and uh there have been other animes that do this text frame effect mm. and then in general i don't know this whole scene was like a bit <laughs> cheesy <laughs> a big for yeah. for my taste yeah, yeah like it's just like it's kind of like oh like together <laughs> we're doing it and and you know it's just like it yeah. just kind of went from like you know, they're at the pits to like, they're super fucking awesome again. And I don't like, I don't know what the real insight he got was or in the music. I don't know. The whole thing felt, felt a little bit much for me. I, I think, I, I think I feel the same thing that Ben is. And I think a different way to articulate it is that it's a very safe artistic choice. Like you don't have to make decisions about like what characters to frame what like how much time you have to do that in it is just text it is just voice and it's been done before 
like this is the this is the language for like dramatic insight mm. and so like to do it again here is just like okay cool they could have done something else and it could have been better it could have been worse but they decided to do the same thing again for some reason maybe budgetary maybe who knows what yeah i, I guess i was gonna say something similar like it kind of depends on each viewer's frame of reference like I didn't think of Evangelion. I thought of the movie, the ring Japanese horror. Mm. And like, they do the stark black frame with like day seven or whatever, but uh, I was going somewhere else with that. Oh yeah. 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 The funny thing is like part of this conversation we're having, it's like kind of specific to our generation because uh, you know, like YouTubers and the anime community in general, like the generation below us, uh, they're not having these criticisms in reference to Evangelion, it's Gurren Lagan. They're like, mm. uh, you know, it was a good episode, but that transformation, oh, it was just right out of like episode 12 of Gurren Lagan. Mm. <laughs> it's like, it took me out of the story. <laughs> you know, it and it, it is like the, the rambunctious music and then the, you're the wings. And they might as well be yelling, Gambate! <laughs> or doing the, oh! And, and so going back to the, relationship metaphor or something like that i don't know it's i'm just having this thought now so maybe it's a bad thought but it's like almost like literally like he like called his like ex-girlfriend and was <laughs> talking about his relationship he's like you're being an idiot she's great for you you should explore this yeah she's like you always fucking do this just fucking like listen to her like it sounds like you really like her and like maybe if you just listen you can like fucking figure this shit out and then like he listens to her and she says the things about the demon horns and then he's like ah maybe we can do this (laughs) yeah Yeah, naomi's probably a pretty good voice for his shadow self i mean in real life she was a pretty straight shooter like she really told him what for in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, she supported him in a moment when he did not believe in himself. Yeah, this this comes into one of my complaints about this series is that there are a lot of characters and they don't get enough screen time to develop like their histories with each mm-hmm. other because they spent Agreed. a lot. Like Hero was training with this uh, squad thirteen for you're not sure how long, but there's mm-hmm. history there that we don't get to see that could provide insight to like why hero is seeing Naomi specifically, but we don't get that. Yeah. There's time. Yeah. Kynax does flashback episodes. I, I feel like they're, they're spreading this a little bit thin with a cast this size. And I could totally see where you're coming from. And I, I mean, obviously I've seen it right. And some of the best stuff they do is focusing on a character. And I totally agree with you. They should have had more time to focus on these characters. I don't feel that way right now in the story because I feel like there's still a lot of time left to uh, spend with these characters. But as we progress towards the end of the the series, I'm I'm that's going to dawn on me too. I'm going to feel just like you do right yeah. now and be like, "Oh, I really wanted more time with Futashi. He was real yeah. neat." So speaking of time, that's one of the interesting things about this episode. So I think this is one of the first episodes where I wasn't like, oh, shit, it's like over already. Mm. And uh, this doesn't have the intro, Mm -hmm. right? And then the story continues over the credits. So this is kind of a a format breaker 
the way the first episode was. Yeah, like yeah. a prestige format, right? Yeah. So my feeling is that this this episode concludes the first story arc, the genre story arc. Mm. We get all the the folklore about the two birds with one wing, and then at the end, you know, they have their existential revelation, and then they they connect without needing the mechanical apparatus, and then we see the mystical wings as the Gutenberg class Klaxosaur is destroyed. Yeah, I was like, oh uh, no, third impact. They're all going to die. And in case you miss it, they say explicitly, I'm the yeah. wings that whatever. <laughs> uh, so oh, yeah, so I'll tell you what I like about that though. So not the yelling about the wings thing, but just the way this first arc wraps up. Okay, so um, yes, I do want to see more about the supporting cast and we will get there. But the first arc, I think, was just really focusing on this zero to hero journey. And oh gosh, that's zero a funny to way hero to put journey. It. Yeah, baby. <laughs> and uh, what I really like about it is like when we get to the end of the, the credits, you know, in Squad 13 and 26, they're celebrating and they're all friends now, I guess. And uh, Ichigo is cool with Hero again. We would assume that. Uh, zero two would also be changed somewhat, you know, because she just had this great connection moment with Hero, her darling. But no, that's not what happens. At the end, she's back to being fixated on killing Klaxosaurs, and she's not a part of that celebration. Mm -hmm. And I like that because I don't see that in anime a lot, and I don't see it in real life a lot either. <laughs> Uh, we, we assume that when we have like the breakthrough moment or the epiphany, everything's going to be fine now. That's not how it happens. You might have a breakthrough or an epiphany, but then unless you deal with some other stuff, there's going to be a regression curve mm. and there's still going to be things that happen and people are still going to have disagreements and friction and things are going to get fucked up and shitty and you still got to work it out. There's no one point where the relationship has arrived and then everything's fine. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm reading into this, but it seems too that there may be seeding some jealousy between Zero Two and, and Ichigo. Like there's kind of like mm. that scene in the hallway mm. where Hero like waves to her, but she doesn't talk to them. And then at the end, it's kind of like, you know, Ichigo runs up and she's crying and hugging Hero. And it's almost like he doesn't even realize that she's still just kind of like alone and and not a part of this stuff <laughs> no comment <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i didn't realize that um thanks for bringing that up because i didn't realize that parallel before because it's it was easy to focus on when zero was taking hero's attention away from ichigo like in the hallway and that happened previously in another episode where like <laughs> zero two showed up and he was like oh sorry i gotta be i gotta go Pay attention to her. Yeah. Um, but it like it interrupted that conversation that Ichigo Ichigo wanted to have with him, right? Yeah. Uh, and but then at the end, when they have their meet and greet and Ichigo like breaks down, she starts crying just because she's so happy to see Hero alive. Like that takes Hero away from hanging out with Zero Two after this like big victory they had. That's awesome. Okay, so the they defeat this Klaxosaur, everyone's having a meet and greet. Uh, there's a short shot of Dr. Franks and I was like, where the fuck mm -hmm. have you been, man? 
you're just and he's just hanging out with Nana and Hachi. I'm like, have you just been like in another corner of the room or but um he says maybe this pilot or maybe this young man can fulfill Zero Two's wish. And I was like, Oh, Zero Two has a wish, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think that, that that's something that I'm seeing. I'm noticing recently, I guess, is as a storytelling technique, I think is we just resolve this big question of like, is Hero going to die the third time he piloted this, piloted this thing? And we learned, no, he, he's not. And so now we need the new mystery, the new question. And so then I think immediately after mm. that one resolves, now the question is, what is Zero Two's wish? And will... Will her wish come true? You've got to have those story hooks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You got to get them to come back next week. Shit. And then the last shot we got, I think, is some new character, right? We just complained about way too many characters. Well, here Mm -hmm. comes a bunch more. And I don't know if they explicitly state it, but those are the nines. Yeah. Uh, and we'll meet them in the next episode. Yeah. So we heard about the nines before, but I don't remember how it was that they came up. Uh, Ape was talking about them and Nana refers to them as Ape's special unit. Mm-hmm. So there's a squad that Ape themselves control. And that's where Zero mm-hmm. Two came from. Interesting. Yeah. So this kid that we saw at the end, uh, he should be familiar from the opening credits. Mm-hmm. Sort of uh, just to stick with the even... Gellian stuff, but there's something about him that kind of looks like that angel. Oh, oh Kawaru? Yeah. Lots of feelings about Kawaru. <laughs> I felt like there was a bit of a old school reference. So they're called the Nines, and there's an oh. older anime called Cyborg Nine. 009. Yeah. And the guy that we saw at the end looks just like, like the leader of Cyborg, mm. uh, whatever they're called. Could be, I've never I, seen that one. I just Googled it, and this dude definitely has the kawaru hair yeah like they both have that <laughs> the vibe blonde yeah. mop mop cut kind of thing and he says something about nine iota yeah we'll have to come back next episode <laughs> okay and that is kind of our episode does anybody have any final thoughts on it hot takes it didn't it didn't happen in this episode but it was like two episodes ago where just like how they decide to bring in the sort of ending music when Mitsuru first rides with Zero Two it's like Hiro finds out that he's like going to be hospitalized and uh and then this upbeat music starts it's like hmm and it seems like they just do that at the end of every episode no matter what almost like saying it doesn't matter what's happening this is the end of the episode (laughs) (laughs) I suspect there's um some contractual things. So like they have to secure the rights to certain songs because it's it's not Asami Tachibana, the composer that's doing the opening and closing themes. I'm sure they have to use that stuff a certain number Maybe of times. Maybe also in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. I could almost imagine it the other way around where it's just like, well, we need some song and uh, <laughs> we don't have one that like is quite right, but this is the ending song. So just like, <laughs> stick that one in there. I love it. Just one more Evangelion thought in case this like sparks something in someone else. It's not really a full thought, but th- there was this like imagery there of kind of like this water 
rippling. Oh yeah, it was when um, he was waking up. That we would see uh, sometimes. And blood color, water yeah, color. yeah, and it was like yeah, a lot of the pass passing out and waking back up stuff. And this time around, there is this like red rippling thing, and then we kind of zoom out, and it's in his eye. And mm. then when that happens, you know, the blue claxosaur stuff comes out of his veins. So I don't know if that's like his human blood or something like that. And I don't know if we get blue ripples at other points. I haven't noticed that yet, but I think something to, to keep our keep our eyes on. We got a lot of uh, water drop symbolism like several times in last episode there was like a sweat drop or a raindrop or something that interrupted the scene and brought us to the next one yeah so yeah we had all this blue so the blue was building up right and i hadn't thought about the the water droplets as like this poison inside of him the sickness drop 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 and now it like fully consumed him and the only cure was like you know, this miracle moment where the, the red shines through, which is her color, right? Which is, so it's no uh, uh, coincidence that he embraces this idea of supporting her uh, over his indoctrination. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the color that embodies it or manifests as it. Hmm. I, I was thinking of the red as his human blood versus the blue claxosaur blood, but I don't know. Well, it probably is his human blood, right? And it we're going to continue to uh, examine this question of like, is zero two a monster? And if so, what mm. makes her a monster? Is it having claxosaur blood? Is it having horns? Is it enjoying fighting and killing? Is it the color red? You know, like, what does it mean to be a demon or to be a monster? What really separates her from the rest of society mm. from like, from my perspective right now, it's like social graces and like some impulse control issues. Like that's the separation. And if that's all it takes to be a monster, well, then most people are monsters. <laughs> yep. Uh, I just had a funny thought about uh, Klaxosaurs and magma energy. Yeah. Like if we're going with the, uh, the, the magma energies, a metaphor for fossil fuels, you know, the joke in the past was that oil comes from oh it's dinosaurs <laughs> yeah uh, and again i don't know if this is just me reading too much into maybe a translation that doesn't actually mean anything but that it's uh screaming monsters and not roaring or yelling or shouting i don't know if uh like screaming or shouting specifically uh, ties into anything but my understanding is that we've also we've all watched a bunch of anime uh yokai mm-hmm. the the animism that the real life animism that uh, describes these, I don't want to say intelligences, but like these entities that exist in nature in, in various objects. Mm-hmm. And as we were talking about, like uh, taking resources from the earth and then these, uh, mm-hmm. these monsters uh, reacting to that. It, it shows up a lot, like in Final Fantasy VII with the life stream and the, the Mako. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the weapons. Yeah, it seems like a very... Uh, culturally based theme right i mean well we're looking at a post uh like with the desertification we assume we might be looking at a post climate disaster society and yet they are still pulling out of the ground in the same way that we right now are just pulling oil out of the ground kind of like dune we mentioned sandworms again it's the same thing right like 
spice in that is an allegory for oil. Magma in this is kind of an allegory for oil. And I hadn't thought about that, that it is dinosaur. You know, that that is the joke, Brian. And so like, mm-hmm. what if the dinosaurs came back and they were pissed about us using their bodies? <laughs> There's been weirder things in anime. Yeah. Um, so Kenneth, I know you don't do, I don't know if you're doing anything online, but if, uh, is there any way people could find you if they wanted more Kenneth in their life? Not that stands out, but I suppose if you could talk me into coming into more episodes. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> well, write into the show if you want Kenneth on more. Give us a review. Uh, you can reach us at, on Twitter at penpenpalspod. You can also reach us on Gmail at same thing, penpenpalspod at gmail.com. Uh, or you can leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or I don't know. Any place you get your podcasts. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, Well, we will be back next week with another exciting episode. All right. Pen. Pen. Pals. Darner. What? What? Oh, shit. What What the (laughs) hell? See you guys. (laughs)